Good to be with you, Orangewood. It's a great uh, time to worship together. Uh, what a joy it is to worship. Uh, worship burns the toxicity off of the week that we've had, brings us into the presence of God, and enables us to get ready to hear his word and to listen to it and apply it to our lives. And so before he talks to us, let's bow our heads and our hearts briefly in prayer. Our great God, what a joy it is to come into your presence today. What a, what a joy to be able to say that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. Uh, we adore you. We lift up your holy name. Uh, your, your name is surpassing, is rich. You are high and holy and lifted up, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we worship you. We've confessed our sins, but Lord, we know that if it weren't for you, Jesus, we would be completely lost. You are our way, our truth, our life, and the only way and truth and life. And we come into your presence and ask for your grace. And even as we sit before uh, the table later, we pray that you'd prepare our hearts. But even now, as we get ready to hear your words, we pray with the Apostle Paul, as he has prayed already in Ephesians, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we might know what is the hope of our calling and what are the riches of the inheritance in the saints, and that we might understand the surpassing greatness of your power that is available to us who believe. And so we come to you and ask that you would speak to us, for we pray these things in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, this morning, we continue our series in the book of Ephesians, following up our missions conference last week, and the title of the missions conference was, do you remember? Boots on the ground, boots on the ground. And uh, what, a, what a great and apt title for a missions conference. Our text today is going to start off with a verse that's very familiar to you. And, and this verse is going to be a, uh, launch us into that whole reality uh, in support of what we just went through in the missions conference, boots on the ground. But then the text is going to transition us into understanding that unity that we have in Christ and how Jesus, in his work, death, burial, and resurrection, session at the right hand of God the Father, has unified God's people. So the break-in of Jesus at the first Christmas was so that there could be a break-out through the church. And he's going to be talking about that today. So let's look at the text, Ephesians 2, verses 10 through 22. And it all builds on Ephesians 2, verses 1 through uh, 9, that has talked about how our salvation is by grace through faith alone. So the Apostle Paul says, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for we, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Therefore... Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, so that in himself he might make the two 
into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom? The whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in which, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. You know, this, it's great to be with you this Sunday, Sunday, first day of the week, resurrection day, communion Sunday, the Sunday Sabbath, and also This is a high and holy day as we celebrate Super Bowl Sunday. Some of you think I've just committed heresy. Now, for those of you who don't know and don't care, uh, this is a very important day for some people. Uh, The two teams that are in the playoffs are the Los Angeles Rams and the New England Patriots. And uh, again, many of you don't care. I understand that. But uh, this, is, this is a very, imp- my favorite, you need to know how people have been voting in our country this, this week. Uh, let's show, this is how the voting has gone for these teams. Um, uh, this, is, this is the way it is. And um, now I want to tell you that I do have a little bit of skin in this game. Uh, I'm from Southern California, born and raised. The Rams practiced across from my high school in Southern California. So every day I'd walk out of school and walk through the parking lot. There was Jack Snows. He was a wide receiver. Uh, He's with Jesus now, if he was saved. I don't know, but he was a Ram. Um, And it was a very very rich experience growing up in Southern California with those. And after a long wilderness experience, the Rams lived in St. Louis, but after... After that long 20-year period of time or whatever it was, they're back where they ought to be. And uh, so I, I really am rooting for them. And I'm hoping that all of you who are spiritual people will be rooting for the Rams today. <laughs> because Christians ought to root for teams. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I have some New England friends. God bless you. I'm not a Brady hater. Uh, I like winners. They may win. But I hope you will pray with me. <laughs> now, I'm going somewhere with this because in, in high school, I, I, I got the stats out when the Rams were, uh, when I was in high school and the Rams were where they should have been in Southern California. And they had a good record. And I went over the stats and I compared it with the stats of what they did this year. And in, in back then, I'm not going to tell you what year that was, they were in the NFC playoffs. This year, they're in the Super Bowl. Now, the fact is, you cannot compare the Rams back then with the Rams now. You simply can't. Why? Because football has changed. Because football is evolutionary. It's changed in a big way. The game is not the same. The lineups are not the same. The, te- the teams are not the same. There was a way they were, and there was a way they are. And so it's a completely different thing. And that serves as a Super Bowl introduction to our sermon, because Paul is doing the same thing. What is he doing? 
He's basically telling us in the text I just read the way we were and the way we are. Now, the big difference is that, in, that when you think about football teams or any kind of a team, there's an, an evolutionary period over a long period of time in which the game changes. Everything changes, so you can't compare an older team with a newer team. But, what, but when it comes to us as Christians, as soon as the Ephesians accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, as soon as you and I accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, there is a change, a radical change a change in our identity. And what the Apostle Paul does in this text is he gives us three major areas where our identity is changed in Christ immediately when we are transformed by the Spirit of God into becoming believers in Jesus Christ. The first area is that we become work, work, God's workmanship for good works. The second area is that he transforms us in, into, into people who are one new man or one new people or one new nation. And the third area is that we become a holy temple. Let's take a look at those before Joe comes to lead us in communion and prepare our hearts uh, to take of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, I want you to note that in Jesus Christ, in his work on the cross and in his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, once we become Christians, we immediately become his workmanship. Verse 10, there's so much truth packed into this little verse. So let me unpack it quickly. He says, we are his workmanship for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The word for sums up everything that goes before and emphasizes that we are saved by grace through faith alone in the work of Christ. And so as we hear that, we know that here at Orangewood. But grace, we might say, as we think about grace, we might think of it this way. Grace is getting life when we were dead and deserved to stay dead. Grace is being made alive when we were dead and should have been left dead. But God in his great mercy loves us so much that he Cause the Spirit of God to come into our hearts and cause us to be born again. That's what verses 1 through 9 is all about. Uh, we, for we, and there Paul uh, connects the Jew and the Gentile, we are his workmanship. That's our second point today, so we'll move on. He says, we are his workmanship. Has anybody ever said to you, you're a piece of work? I think of I think of my grandson who is a piece of work. I can't wait till teachers get to fully experience him in school. I remember my first grade teacher saying something like, Peter. I remember the hand coming down onto the desk when I was turned around. Shape up or ship out. Slam. She didn't say it. She didn't cuss, but I think she was thinking, you're a piece of work, but you guys are a piece of work. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are his workmanship. You are the crafting of his hand. He's made you his children. He did it. It's all uh, for his glory. We are not created uh, uh, in Christ Jesus by our good works. We are created in Christ Jesus by Christ's good works for his good works that he would do through us. 
That's what verse 10 is teaching us, and that's powerful. That's why the Boots on the Ground Missions Conference is so important for us to keep in mind. We were born again for this purpose of making a difference for the glory of God in the world. And that's what sometimes we forget. The gospel is not just freedom from sin and death and hell, but the gospel is freedom from sin and death and hell for holiness and life and impact. We were created for something, for impact. And, and there's, a lot, there's a lot of, oh, I don't know what we call sloppy grace out there that says we're just forgiven of our sins and we're forgiven. And that's it. That's it. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Yes. But what they do when they say that's all it is and when they leave it there is they really strip away the whole purpose dimension of our life. Uh, perp- this is our purpose to be God's workmanship. This is what animates us. This is what gives us life. We are his workmanship. This is purpose created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, can we talk about good works? Think about this. If God wants to do good works through us, I I was thinking about, and I don't know if I said this before. I asked one of our elders if I used this story before. So if I have, forgive me. It's, I don't remember, but I might've about my granddaughter, Maggie, who I have five grandkids, five. I, I, you know, I have a daughter that's not married. Well, maybe we'll get two more to the perfect number, but they're already the perfect grandkids. (laughs) But, but I was thinking about this the other day in relation to this idea of being God's workmanship. Have you ever thought about how phenomenally complicated we make God's life? Have you ever thought about how, how, how we phenomenally complicate the Great Commission by just being who we are? And he has said, I want you to be a part of, the, part of this with me. And so the illustration is my daughter, my granddaughter was over the other day and we were raking leaves. I can't remember if I said this before, but forgive me if I did. We were raking leaves up and she wanted to come over and rake leaves. God bless her. And so I was raking these leaves and she came over and she, I have two rakes. So I rake, she raked, but she couldn't hold her rake. So I was helping her hold her rake, right? And then we raked them up into a pile. And then see, I can grab a whole lot more rakes as I pick those things up and put them into the, into the trash can. She couldn't pick that many up. Maybe this much, maybe she's five. And, and I, I've confessed to you before that I'm a sup. I'm a sped up person. So I want to get this done. I want to check it off my list. I'm going to go do something else because I, I was not born to rake leaves. I'm going to get this done. She doesn't want to get this done. She just wants to do this with Chief and have fun. And we were having fun. And I, you know, 100% it turned out great. It was great. We had fun together. We grew together. I got to teach her a couple of things. We got to laugh together. She got the, her mom and dad rolled up on the street, just as, as she was finishing, they saw her rake and they gave her praise. It was wonderful. It was great. But she complicated my life to get my task done, right? That's the same way with us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And God phenomenally complicates his work by wanting to work through us. However, he delights in developing us in the process of, of doing those good works that he ordained beforehand. You see, he develops us in the process. He gives us purpose in the process. Don't look at this workmanship thing as being some, ah, God's trying to ruin my life. No, he's trying to give you purpose in your life. He's trying to set you free to a life that really matters. C.T. Studd put it this way. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 
And so, and so I love this text. We are his workmanship created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, real quick, uh, because it's important to point out that a lot of uh, good works uh, are just found right in the New Testament, aren't they? You read the epistles, you will find list after list after list of good works. Theologically, this is very important for us to understand that a good work is not something that we think is good. A good work is not something that our culture tells us is good. Are you listening? Because this is crucial. A good work is something that God says is good and does through us. Only when the Holy Spirit energizes us in a particular acts that are called good works is it considered a good work. And many of the things that our culture tells us are good works are not good works. Some of them might be actually bad works, marginal works. And so we can't take our our idea of what is a good work from our culture. We have to put on the lens of uh, the glasses of scripture to see what is and is not uh, a, a good work. And we need to talk to one another, our younger generations. What is, what does it mean to do a good work, to do justice? in the world. Um, there's a lot of good works in the New Testament. Uh, I, the list is, is uh, in, in incredible. Um, and as we think of those good works of, of, of giving and loving and evangelizing and serving, some of those are things we all do, right? Some of them are based out of our spiritual gifts. Um, protect... Can we talk? You've been listening to the news this week, haven't you? Um, some of the good works that we have done, that Orangewood has done, that Christians have done, are now being put on the front burner of American society. Again, you've been pro-life, we're pro-life. Um, uh, and, and guys, with what the governor of Virginia and what happened in the state of New York happened this week, what has it done? It has put it has put the whole pro-life issue right on the forefront. Again, some of my millennial brothers say to me, listen, there's more social issues than just uh, being pro-life and abortion. It's very important, but that's not the only social justice issue. I know, and I agree with them 100%. But look, here it is, right? Right on the front burner, and we can't walk away from that. That's one of the good works, promoting life, defending life. Uh, and, and so uh, there's so many. Our school... Uh, and, uh, and, and is a good work? Yeah, doing, we, Orangewood does so many things. I was talking with one of the elders, uh, the Sunday before last, and they were setting up the tables and he walked me through each table and all of the areas you could serve here, the good works. I thought, my goodness. That's why I love Joe Creech because he helps me think biblically, bigger just in my own little world, worldwide, uh, and, and, and much bigger than I tend to think. So there's a lot of good works and we've got to think about them. And some of those gifts come out, some of those good works come out of your spiritual gifts. So I would say this, where do you personally say, for this I was born? This is why God put me on the planet. What is that good work? Well, it's powerful. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's how our identity changed overnight. Jesus broke in that he could break out through us. Complicates his life, 
but he delights in working through us. The second major way uh, that our identity has changed immediately in Christ is, is that he made us into one new man and one body in verses 11 through 16. This is great. Paul says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. And if you underline in your Bibles, you might want to underline this. You were aliens and are strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is an incredible mystery. There's two mysteries that Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians. One of the mysteries is that Gentiles were going to be allowed into the body of Christ. That Jesus died for Gentiles too. And, and, and that's what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the unity that comes between Jew and Gentile. And for the Ephesian Christians, this was a big deal. Because for pagans in, in, in the rest of the world, wherever, wherever a pagan came across a Jew, what would a Jew do when he saw a pagan walking toward him? What would he do? Look away, step away, because a pagan was what? What's the word? Unclean. They were unclean. And so even though the Jews were a minority, they were a self-righteous minority. But now, Paul says, the amazing work of Christ has done something that was prophesied in the Old Testament, but not fully understood. A mystery is the mysterium is something that was, was, was not clear, but now is clear. And that is Jews and Gentiles alone uh, together have been put together in the body of Christ. So this is, this is what Paul is teaching here. He's saying that the great break-in of Christ happened that unity could happen between Jew and Gentile and that we could therefore then break out together with the gospel and affect the whole world. That the church would be a mixed race, mixed uh, body of people. You know what the phrase for God so loved the world means? Really, in context, in the New Testament, you know what it really means? God doesn't just love Jews. That's what it means. And that was earth shattering. Because most of the Jews in Jesus' day believed, are you kidding me? He loves us. We're his covenant people. For God so loved the world means he doesn't just love Jews. I, I was, uh, last Tuesday, I was, I spoke at Forge, the ministry I leave, I lead in Oviedo and Longwood. And then Tuesday, I went downtown and spoke at the gathering of men downtown. And I was asked to speak on a particular topic that dealt with this. And so I asked how many of the people in the room, uh, were from a Jewish background. And only one guy raised his, raised his hand. His name was Aaron. That was a tip off. I loved it. And he had a big smile on his face. And he said, that's me. And, and I said to the rest of the guys, you know what this means? This is wonderful. You don't have to be a Jew to be a Christian. That was earth shattering in the first century. We've come to accept it, of course. 
we, we, we see a Jew comes to faith in Christ, we go, wow, I mean, that's, but all of the first Christians were Jewish. But the gospel was never meant to stay in Israel. It was meant to radiate out and affect the whole world that God has his people wherever they are in the world. And he's built into one, he's built into one, a new people, Jew and Gentile. I remember in Baptist church I was raised at, we used to sing a song every other Sunday morning. We have a story to tell to the nation. Anybody raised Baptist? Remember that song? I see that hand. Good. Thank you. I see that. Yeah, good. I, I mean, I, I should have all those words memorized. I don't. I, we also, we sang, Jesus loves me all the time. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. That's biblical. hundred percent. At Forge, uh, this next week, we have a, a new MC. Uh, he's an African-American gentleman. He's a great guy. And we become brothers. As we meet together, we talk. We had lunch this past week. We talked for an hour and a half. I said, I got work to do, man. I can't just hang around and be your friend. <laughs> but he's so great. He's such a good guy. I can't wait. But what I see happening in our little ministry is I see the walls coming down between white men and black men. It's, it's a very beginning stages. Would you pray for me? Because I have no idea what I'm doing. But I know it's entirely consistent with what Jesus did. And if there's going to be any hope for racism uh, uh, and inclusivism uh, in the world, growth, true, it's going to have to happen between believers who understand that there's one new man, one new people, one new Israel that was created by Jesus on our behalf. Who are you? You are workmanship for good works. You are the deeply beloved, redeemed sons and daughters of the most high God. You are a new people. Could God want to do stuff here like that at Orangewood? Maybe, but we have to understand it. And this is what fuels boots on the ground overseas, as well as here is understanding that there are people everywhere for God so love the world. As we think about our pulpit uh, search, pastor search committee, um, maybe a question comes up right now that we could ask ourselves, what can I do in 2019 to fuel unity at Orangewood? What can I do to be that person who is praying for them, supporting them. There's going to be a lot of discussion, a lot of debate. God is in the process. But what can I do to fuel unity? Because Jesus has already brought it. And then lastly, I want you to note that we're not only uh, transformed radically uh, by Jesus being the workman, workmanship for good works, and also a new people of unity around Jesus, but we are a holy temple. Look at verse 17. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, Jesus, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone 
in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. How has Christ changed us? He's transformed us into a holy temple. Quick question. What's a temple for? Worship. It's where God dwells. But let me ask you another question. Did the God of the Bible, the only God there is, did the temple in Israel completely contain him? Absolutely not. To ask that question is immediately to answer it because we know that he's way bigger than that. So in the temple, this is where God in Israel put his presence. But, but nothing could contain him. So one of the amazing truths is that because of the work of Christ, we the church and you as an individual part of that are a place, a dwelling place, a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And he dwells in us, which is absolutely astonishing to even think of. But the reality is that he is in us and he is building us into a holy temple. You see, that we are a holy temple is something that's positional, but is also something that is uh, in process. It's a fact, but it's also something that's being developed, isn't it? Are you holy? Don't nudge the person next to you. We, we're saints by calling in Christ. You are holy if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Isn't that wonderful? You're holy. Now, are you practically like Jesus in every area of your life? Don't lie to me. Of course not. So we are a holy temple, declared holy. Is he trying to bring increased holiness into our life? Of course. Of course. And one of the great joys of a Christian is learning uh, to continue to grow in righteousness as we seek to become like Jesus Christ, more and more holy, set apart. I want you to know, I want to I keep growing. We need to keep growing. And as we grow, you see, Jesus broke in that he could build temples and then he could break out his holiness through us. And so you, you, might, you might have been a Christian for a very long time. But he's still building in you and in me Christ-likeness. I need accountability. I hate that word, but Lance Witt in his book, High Impact Team, says, accountability is an uncomfortable ter- uh, word. It has the same word, uh, warmth, as the word colonoscopy. <laughs> uh, I like that. But Matthew 10 says that a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It's enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. That means that we, as we grow in Christ, that means the gospel says that we are living temples, but we still can allow the glory of God. We must allow the glory of God to transition us and grow us. Where? I have a three by five card on my desk. Where are you growing today? What is Jesus doing today? And I'm not afraid. If I don't grow anymore, he loves me. I'm going to heaven. I'm not hyper about it. I just want to know. Because I want his life to flow through me. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Last week I read A.R. Bernard's book, Four Things Women Want from Men. 
Ladies, get that book. I couldn't put it down. Seriously, I couldn't get it. I couldn't. I'm now going to require it in my premarital counseling classes. It's great. Maturity, decisiveness, consistency, and strength. I, I didn't find anything new for myself, frankly, in the book, but... Um, Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus broke in that he could break out through us his righteousness, his holiness, that we could be set free and that we could be transformed. Wow. Can you want more from the gospel? I couldn't. There's nothing more to get. Life on earth and life to come. I can't go back and look at the stats and think that, that as I compare these teams, that they can, they can be the same. But we have, uh, that was then and this is now, and all of these things are true about us now, but we continue to grow, don't we, in all of these areas. As his workmanship, as one people, and as a holy temple. Well, there it is. You may not be a Ram fan, but we're all Jesus fans. Because we can't surpass what he has done in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you have radically changed us. And that our hope now in who we are and who we're becoming is totally in you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. We pray in your holy name. Amen.